Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, Rabboni, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. On February 17th, 1982, the Chicago Sun-Times carried a story originally printed in the Los Angeles Times about Anna May Panica, a 62-year-old woman who had been blind from birth. At age 47, she married a man she met in Braille class. For the first 15 years of the marriage, he became her eyes, seen for both of them, until he completely lost his vision. Mrs. Pennica never had seen the greenest spring or the blue summer sky. Yet she had grown up in a loving, supportive family, and she never felt resentful about her handicap and always displayed a remarkably cheerful spirit. Then in October 1981, Dr. Thomas Petty was able to perform surgery to remove the rare cataracts from the lenses of her eyes, her left eye, and she saw for the first time ever. The newspaper account doesn't record what her reaction was, but it does tell us that she found everything bigger and brighter than she ever imagined. While she immediately recognized her husband and others she had known well, other acquaintances were either taller or shorter than she imagined, or heavier or skinnier than, skinnier than what she had pictured them. She could hardly wait for every new morning to come up, to splash her, eye, her eyes with water, put on her glasses, and enjoy the changing morning light. Her vision was a 2030, good enough to pass a driver's test. Now think about her seeing faces that she had never seen. <clears throat> seeing the beauty of the sunset, and then think about blind or Timaeus, who came to see because of Christ. <clears throat> and as we think about this passage of scripture, <clears throat> keep in mind the flow of the passage. That in verses 32 through 34, we have the suffering of Christ. He came to give his life. He came to be a servant. And then in verses 35 through 45, we find the authority of <clears throat> authority over versus being a servant. Peter and John came 
to, not Peter and John, James and John, I'm sorry, came to Jesus and said, no, give us what we request. And they wanted to set one in his right, one in his left hand. And Jesus said, that's not mine to give. And then he goes into saying, you know, if you really want to be great, you got to be a servant. The Son of Man came to be, or to be a servant, not to serve. And then we find an example of being a servant. In verses 46 through 52, when Jesus heals the blind man. Jesus is illustrating, being a servant, Jesus is illustrating what is being involved in being a disciple of Christ. James Edwards says, to set the stage, and I quote, the story of the healing of blind Bartimaeus is unique among the healings of the synoptic gospels. For its warmth and interest in the person healed. Bartimaeus is, in fact, the only person healed in the synoptic gospels whose name is given. A number of details anchor it to a Palestinian context, Jericho. The Aramaic name Bartimaeus, son of David, and the reverent expression Rabboni. The story of this blind beggar who ironically sees Jesus more clearly than those with two good eyes climaxes Mark's teaching on faith and discipleship. Chapter 10 is full of references to discipleship. But none of the disciples demonstrated the faith, insight, and discipleship of Bartimaeus. This, the final healing miracle in the gospel, reaffirms Jesus' messianic status and introduces a series of episodes in chapters 11 and 12 in in which both Jesus' status and divine authority run into conflict with the religious leaders. End of quote. And as you contrast chapter 10 and chapter 11, we find that Jesus, the text clearly says, then they came to Jerusalem, and as they were leaving the city, a blind man came to him. And keep in mind where Jesus had been, where he had been traveling. Apparently he had come down this side of the Jordan River, and then they would have crossed the Jordan River. They're at Jericho, and they're on their way to Jerusalem. Jericho, along with Damascus, lays claim to being one of the oldest inhabited cities on earth. It lies 840 feet below sea level some 20 torturous miles and 3,500 feet below Jerusalem to the southwest. The characters in the story, we have Jesus. We have the disciples. We have a large crowd. And then we have Bartimaeus, a man who is going to be healed. He's a beggar, probably a beggar, sitting along the road. And that's the way he would have earned his money. Jesus, as he would have come into Jericho, would have probably had with him a large company of people. It was common in that day for a rabbi to travel with a group of people, and as they were traveling, they would teach. The rabbi would teach. So Jesus 
would have been coming into Jericho, teaching. Jericho also <coughs> was probably crowded because a Levitical priest waiting to go to Jerusalem to minister during the Passover. Vincent Taylor, a New Testament scholar, believed that Jesus' passage through Jericho bore the character of a celebration. Some of them being hostile, but many being very enthusiastic towards Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. Apparently, Bartimaeus heard some commotion, <coughs> people traveling. You know, as Jesus was coming with his followers, and what does he do? Apparently being told it was Jesus, he shouts. I'm not going to try that at this time. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Apparently, it didn't just happen once, <coughs> but he's shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what do the people do? They rebuke him. The idea of rebuke is to look at something, observe something, and determine that it's not wise, it's not good. So they correct him. They reprimand him. They told him to be quiet. But what's he do? All the more shouts, son of David. Have mercy on me. Son of David, 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 have mercy on me. It's kind of like someone whining. It's kind of like driving somewhere with your kids. Dad, mom, are we there yet? Dad, mom, are we there yet? Dad, mom, are we there yet? And finally you become somewhat frustrated. You're this blind man. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's shouting that repeatedly. This man was aware of his condition. He was blind, and he knew it. Apparently, he had never seen a tree wave its limbs in the spring or the blue of the summer sky, or the face of his mother, or anyone who loved him. He was in darkness, physical darkness. <coughs> Knowing your condition is a good thing. Charles Coulson, in his brilliant book of essays, Who Speaks for God, tells about watching a segment of 60 Minutes in which host Mike Wallace interviewed Osowich survivor Yehau Denner, a principal witness at the Nuremberg war crimes trial. During the interview, a film clip shows Adolf, or Adolf Eichmann, 1961 trial was viewed, showing Durham entering the courtroom and coming face to face with Eichmann. 
for the first time since being sent to prison. Stopped cold. Dern began to sob uncontrollably and then fainted while the presiding judge pounded his gavel for order. Was Denur overcome by hatred, fear, horrid memories? Asked Colson, who answers, no, it was none of these. Rather, Denur explained to Wallace, all at once he realized Eichmann was not the godlike army officer who had sent so many to their deaths. This Eichmann was an ordinary man. <coughs> I was afraid about myself, said Denner. I saw that I'm capable to do this. I'm exactly like he is. Wallace's subsequent summation of Denner's terrible discovery Eichmann in all of us is a horrifying statement. The answer is in Deneur's dramatic collapse, for to truly confront the sin within us is a devastating experience, yet an experience that brings grace. The blind man saw himself for who he was. He was blind. He also had some penetrating insight into Christ and who Christ was. He kept repeating, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. A blatant messianic title. That's something that a lot of people did not recognize. He recognized Jesus being the Messiah. Someone once bluntly asked blind and deaf Helen Keller, isn't it terrible to be blind? To which she responded, better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. Blind Bartimaeus recognized to some extent Jesus as son of David, messianic. He also had a passionate persistence he was told to be quiet. What does he do? He shouts all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. He was helplessly dependent. If anything's going to happen in my life, it's got to be my mercy, by the mercy of Jesus Christ. What does Jesus do? Stop. Jesus stopped and said, call him. That is, call the blind man. So they, the people, called to the blind man, cheer up. On your feet, he's calling you. What is his response? He throws aside his cloak. He jumps to his feet. And he came to Jesus. It's interesting what Jesus does in verse 51. What do you want me to do for you? 
Shouldn't it be obvious what he wants done? But Jesus asked a question. We see Jesus using the same pattern as God used over and over again. He asked questions. What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, or Rabboni, I want to see. There's something about articulating a desire that has an impact. I want to see. It's kind of like going to the doctor and the doctor says, why are you here? And you tell him why. So he just says, I want to see. Jesus' response is very simple and very direct. Go. Your faith has healed you. You know, immediately, he receives his sight. There's no time delay. There's no surgery. There's no healing process. There's no therapy or anything. Go. Your faith has healed you. Man, all of a sudden, could see. Immediately. I emphasize immediately. He received his sight, and he follows Jesus along the road. James Edwards says, and I quote, what do you want me to do for you, asked Jesus. This is the same question he asked the sons of Zebedee, but Bartimaeus responds differently. Whereas the sons of thunder asked for ex extraordinary glory, Bartimaeus asked for only ordinary health. Surely Bartimaeus needed to be, or his need should be obvious to Jesus. The most practical response would be for Jesus to heal him and be in his way. But for Jesus, Bartimaeus is not a problem to be dealt with. Jesus will not do something to him, but something with him. He responds to the blind man, not as an if, but as a thou. What do you want me to do for you? And then he responds. What is the point of this passage? Jesus continues to challenge his disciples concerning what it means to follow him. It involves serving others by having mercy on those who cry out for help. A focus on others, not on self, as James and John had in verse 35. It also shows the character, the identity, the being of Jesus by healing the blind man. In verses 32 through 34, we find that Jesus talks about his death. Is being handed over to the Gentiles, being mocked, being spit on. 
James and John come with a request. Now let one sit at your right hand, one at your left. And then Jesus says, I came to serve, not to be served. And then he illustrates what it means to serve <coughs> by healing the blind man. Now, how should that look in our lives? Just some thoughts in relation to our lives and the Roman believers' lives. Serving others is the core of discipleship. Develop a servant's heart. Lay aside your own glory. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. The two, James and John, wanted to be served. And Jesus says, serve. In our daily lives, just being servants. The ministry of Jesus to the blind man Drive homes or drives home the selfish request of James and John in verse 35 in contrast to verse 45. We like to be served. Jesus says, serve. He gives an example by healing the blind man. Think about what it looks like to be a servant in the following situations. You have a marriage conflict. In every marriage conflict, there's two people looking to be served rather than to serve. What if in a conflict where husband and wife are having a difficulty, they both step back and said, you know, we've been guilty trying to have control and authority over. We're called to serve. How can I serve you? Changes the whole dynamics. About an apparent-child conflict. Dad and mom or one or the other seeking to usurp their authority over the child and the child trying to usurp their authority if they have any over mom and dad. And they both surrender that and give that up. And say, how can I serve you? Dad, Mom, I'll serve you by being obedient to you. Dad's saying, I'll serve you by helping you to learn how to be submissive. How about complaints with our government? I think all of us at times complain about our government. And we step back from that and said, I'm not going to complain. How can I serve? I'll pray for him. I'll write a letter. I'll encourage him. Moving to a servant mentality. How about an employer? Employee conflict. I'm talking an employee, employee, employer, employee conflict. The servant <clears throat> employee, servant employer thinks about how to serve. See, our world is consumed with lording it over people, with exercising authority. And Jesus says, 
your servant. How did the Roman believers hear this passage? As they received the book of Mark and they heard it read, how did they hear it? Remember, they're under persecution. Some of them are being killed for their faith. And those who had authority over them were not nice. Nero was persecuting Roman believers. How did they hear it? We're to serve those in authority over us. We're not to fight them. We're not to try to win. We're not to try to keep from being killed for our faith. We're to serve them. So we'll pray for those in authority over us, even though they're killing us. They're confiscating our property. As they gave their lives for their faith, they were showing a servant spirit rather than the spirit of the world, which is to exercise authority over and to have control over. Regardless of our political leaders, some companies, our country or our county live by, lord it over, exercise authority over it. That's the way our culture lives. Authority over, lord it over, accept it. We're not going to change that. That's the way it is. You or I will not change it. Choose to live by the kingdom of God. Be a servant. Give your life, your time for others. In our county, we've had some difficulties over the years. And if you look at the newspaper, you often hear about people and things that are happening. It's a lorded over, authority over mentality. Jesus says, I came to be served, and I illustrated that by healing the blind man. See, the kingdom of God goes a different direction than the world in which we live. And the Roman believers, as they heard this, were to serve those in authority over us because we live in the kingdom of God. So reach out to those who are crying out for help. Be a servant. Be a grace giver. Hear those who cry out for help. The elderly, the withdrawn, the teen in trouble. Care for them. Now, caring for others may be costly. Caring for elderly parents may cost in terms of time, may cost in terms of money. But coming to the end of your parents' life, having been faithful in serving them, is a blessing. That's the kingdom of God. But taking an elderly to the doctor or just listening. It costs you time, it costs you some money, but having a servant heart, being willing to serve, helping a person that may have AIDS or have a terminal illness, 
just caring for them. A servant heart. See, the world wants authority, wants to control. Jesus says, serve. And he illustrates that so well in healing blind Bartimaeus. In light of Jesus serving blind Bartimaeus, has the Lord shown your heart? As Denur saw his heart when seeing Eichmann 20 years after being in prison. Are you seeing with your heart? Helen Keller said, better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. What's God showing you about your heart? Are you a servant? Or do you want to be served? For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pause in silence. Father, may we see our heart. You've called us to be servants, not to serve. And as we sing together, we recognize that it's a form of serving you. As we have communion, we're reflecting on Christ and his serving us. As we pray, we serve others as we pray for them. As we give, we're being responsive to your service to us. Father, build into our lives a servant heart. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Travis.